Hi everyone, I'm Fox News Rup Raj on the July 13th edition of Let It Rip. We took on the death penalty. A lot of talk about that. When federal charges happen, certain ones, the death penalty comes into question. But some say it's eye for an eye, others say it's inhumane. We'll take a close look at that debate. Also coming up on Let It Rip, former President Donald Trump wishes that his trial would be delayed till after the election. Is that fair? Is that justice? We're talking to Congresswoman Debbie Dingell and a conservative commentator as well. And so with that, let's let it rip. Time now to let it rip with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell joining us via Skype from D.C., attorney and conservative activist Terry Johnson, and as always, Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton. Let's get right to it. Let's let it rip. And we begin with the Congresswoman. All right, Congresswoman Dingell, all of the Trump supporters out there saying this would be very unfair if the trial was to happen in December, uh, like some people are proposing. Do you think that's true? No, I don't think it's true. I think that nobody is above the law. We are a nation of the laws, and I believe that the law should be going forward. Think about uh, what would happen post-election, especially if he was to be elected, which I don't think he would be, but he should be held accountable for what he has done now. But, Congresswoman, many people are saying it would be impossible to seat an impartial jury. Uh, this is an affront to justice for the president or for anybody. If it was a Democrat in the same position, there's no way to have a fair trial given what he's facing and in the midst of an election. Okay, could you answer this? What would make it any more fair after an election next year? I believe he should be held accountable for what he has been indicted on and be given. Everybody's entitled to a jury. Trial, a fair trial, and I actually do believe there are people that may not have even heard of all the details, and I think you can get a fair jury trial, and I think it should be held up. The trial should be occurring tonight. All right, Terry Johnson, you're hearing the Congresswoman talk about this, and she's saying, hey, this guy deserves the same tier of justice that everyone else is getting. If he's accused of a crime, this should be adjudicated, and soon. Well, she used one word in there that uh, most Democrats do not apply to former President Trump, fair, right? Number one, you're going to have this happen during the course of an election. I wonder what would happen if Donald Trump were today wake up and say, I'm not going to run anymore. I think these charges would magically disappear. This is nothing but a way for the Democrats to try and keep him off of the ballot because they know the candidate that they have, you know, Joe Biden. I'm not talking about the cocaine that just happened there, but I'll let you figure that out on your own. Well, hold on, though. You mean to tell me that Trump, as if he was a regular guy, and if he was the former president and he wasn't running and he was charged with willfully retaining national military secrets, nuclear secrets, spreading it on like wildfire, violating the Espionage Act, you think that that person would just be allowed to walk freely? Great question. But he isn't a regular guy. He was the former president who had access to these documents. But the bigger problem I have is the trial in December. I believe that's in New York City. A place where what? Let me think. 98% of the vote in that uh, in New York City went against Donald Trump. You really think that's a jury of his peers? No. But, but I want to get to Charlie with that in a moment. But hold on. We're making false statements, violating the Espionage Act. You're saying he's not a regular guy who's a former president who had access to this stuff. This stuff is not supposed to be shared with book publishers, as it's alleged that he did. It's not supposed to be shared with random people, as he allegedly did. The Mar-a-Lago. It, 
in the country club that it is is not a place for documents that are federally classified to be unclassified. So and, to speak. and neither is a, a beach house in Delaware. However, we don't see Joe Biden going through that. All I'm saying is let's have a trial. And you use the key word, obviously, as a reporter, it's alleged, right? Yep, yep. It has not been proven. Let's make sure that he gets a fair trial. That's all we're asking. Is it possible, Charlie Langton, a lawyer of more than three decades, is it possible for this guy to get a fair trial anywhere in the world? Well, probably, because here's what's going to happen. When we talk to, about jury selection, think about this. If the Trump lawyers can, can get the judge to exclude jurors who have a political bias one way or another, especially if they're pro-Biden and anti-Trump. Now, think about that for a minute. Let's assume that his jury pool, as you say, Terry, they're all Trump haters. They love if they're really Trump haters and they can get that out when you pick the jury, they're off the jury. So what's left are people that either like Trump or don't care. I can see him getting a fair trial without those pro-Biden people on the jury. If it's done right. All right, so let's go back to the congressman for a moment. We talk about this two-tier system. You'll hear a lot of people on the on the red side there say, hey, look, Hunter Biden basically got like a sweetheart deal, a slap on the wrist, and yet here we are trying to throw a former president in jail so he doesn't run for an election. Can you see how people see this as a two-tier system? Look, I don't believe it's a two-tier system. I believe that we are a nation of laws and nobody is above the law. The U.S. attorney that did the investigation or the person that was appointed to do the Hunter investigation was the person that was actually appointed by Donald Trump and that he was kept in place. Uh, and I don't know what happened there, uh, and, but it was somebody that previously appointed to the investigation and said that he was not subject to political charges. Again, we have had independent investigations more than one indictment. I don't know. Uh, uh, we've got potential court hearings for court trials in both Florida and New York. You're hearing him say, you're hearing Congresswoman rather say that this person who was appointed by Trump is the one who's adjudicating the Hunter trial. We also know that the U.S. District Court judge who was appointed by Trump, we're talking about Judge Eileen Cannon, is also responsible for determining the date. Do you think that this well, judge, hold on one second, sure. do you think though, Terry, this judge can, without bias, set a fair trial date, whether it be after the election or before? Well, let, let, let me start with the, with the previous thing with Hunter Biden, right? First of all, let's think about this. You know, Congresswoman says, hey, he was a Trump appointee. True, but he reports to who? A Biden appointee. Who reports to who? Merritt Garland. Who reports to who? Joe Biden. So I, I, I don't agree with that, just because he was a Trump appointee. You really think that the President of the United States is making phone calls in the Oval Office all the way to the Department of Justice to make things happen so that his son gets an easier way? Do you not believe that? I'm asking you the question. The question's to <laughs> you. Do you not think that would have been go ahead. What, what, go she ahead. was chiming in. Uh, I, if such action had occurred, trust me, you would have seen it on the front page of the New York Times. There are too many people that talk about these things all of the time. The Democratic-leading New York Times. 
But 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 Congresswoman okay, the Washington Post or whatever conservative paper, Fox here's, News. Are you here's, kidding me? They would have leaked it to here, the Fox here, News. Here's the thing you got to remember, and Charlie, you know this with the feds, right? When the feds get you, they just don't give you a sweetheart deal. What they do is they bring you in and they say, Tell us what you know about this, 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 and this. And if you do this, then we might give you a sweetheart deal. They just gave this guy a sweetheart deal. Other people who have done exactly the same thing as Hunter Biden are where? In prison serving four or five years. There's no way anyone, even in the Eastern District of Michigan, could ever get such a deal. I want to ask, I want to ask the Congresswoman a quick question, and Charlie, we'll get to you in a second. We're having some audio issues with the Skype, but hopefully we'll get this answer a little more clear. So we apologize to our viewers, but here's the deal. Uh, today we learned that the investigation into cocaine found in the White House was suddenly closed. It begs the question, if this was a Republican president who was sitting in office, would it be so easily accepted that all of a sudden this case is closed? No cameras, no evidence, no way of knowing who brought this cocaine into the White House. You know, here's the reality. We are so uh, divided as a country that I'm not sure that they would believe it on either party. I've uh, talked to some colleagues who were in the briefing heard by the FBI today. The word of this was out of the anthrax work, which did some damage. I think that we got to worry about the lack of trust in anybody. I think I, the nation, one, that's rule of law, and two, people don't trust any hearing the congresswoman basically say she believes that on either side of the political spectrum you'd find objections to the fact this was closed so easily charlie where's the cocaine who did it who brought it in i'd like to know that wouldn't you like to know it's that? the people's house. i think everybody would like to know that listen we have all kinds of investigations going on about what went to the white house what was taken from the white house i want to know the feds you tell me the feds can't find who took this cocaine exactly that's 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 well, a problem and i think that is a problem exactly. it is a little peculiar that one of the most highly secured places in the world for whatever reason in this one section the cameras simply couldn't catch uh, what was going on in this area it brings a lot of questions quick last question I'm gonna ask uh, Congresswoman Dingle and because of the audio issues I'm gonna ask you kind of in a, a shorter way a kind of a yes or no do you think if Trump goes back into office and is elected as president we're gonna see one of the first ever self pardons as he's talked about or will he appoint leaders in the Justice Department to essentially pull the plug on the investigation what's your fear he will do either. He'll either self-pardon or, or appoint. I am worried about that. Terry? I, I think if he gets back in, I think justice will actually be restored. I think we need to put this election in the hands of the people, and we need to keep the, the DOP, Department of Politics, not justice, out of this election and let the people decide. That's how it should be done. When you read about what happened, allegedly, at the Mar-a-Lago home of documents being shared, audio clips of the former president saying, you believe this? You know, do, do, do you shake your head at all as an attorney and say, shouldn't the president of the United States have known better? Well, here's what I shake my head at. I shake my head at the Russian hoax that was proven wrong. But Terry, shake do, you my shake your head, do you shake your head at a former president openly sharing these documents as though they're fodder for conversation at a dinner party in the middle Once, of a, do you think that that's wrong? I think if that is what the evidence shows, then it's wrong. But again, we haven't gotten to the evidence portion of this. All right. Well, a lot more needs to be unpacked with this. We want to thank our esteemed 
Congresswoman Debbie Dingell for joining us today. We apologize for the audio issues, but we thank you for being with us. It's always a pleasure. And Terry, always a pleasure to always. see you here in our studios <laughs> as well. Charlie and I on the other side of the break talking about this, the kidnapping and murder of two-year-old Winter Smith, horrifying really the state of Michigan, but much of the country. Calls for justice are ringing out, but should that include the death penalty if her accused killer is convicted? That debate as Let It Rip rolls on next. Let it rip. The death penalty is not a thing at the state level, but it's a different story at the federal level. And the man accused of killing a two-year-old Lansing girl faces it because of that. So is that something that should be on the table in this case? We're joined now by Michigan Innocence Clinic co-founder David Moran, Zionist Organization of America board member Aaron Tobin, and Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton is back with us as well. We thank all of you for joining us here today. I uh, wanted to begin uh, actually with Charlie because there are questions that so many people have is like, wait a minute, this is a case that started in Lansing and this girl was allegedly kidnapped by Trice, taken on this awful ride, nightmarish ride, and then her life ended in Detroit. Why would the feds get involved? Is it because it's a kidnapping case? Uh, yes, there is a federal kidnapping statute. I think it was dual jurisdi jurisdiction here. I think the state case could have started and it could have been fully prosecuted in Lansing, Ingham County. However, there is a federal kidnapping statute. And I understand that if the bad guy doesn't tell the feds within a certain amount of time, which he didn't do, they have jurisdiction. But I think that that will still be a question. And I think one of the reasons that we're talking about jurisdiction here is because under the state system, no death penalty, and under the federal system, there is. Will he get charged with the death penalty? It's a possibility. And we should keep in mind the federal charges have nothing to do with murder, but rather kidnapping uh, a minor and then also kidnapping resulting in death. And so, David Moran, we bring you into the fold here. Um, many people say eye for an eye. The punishment should fit the crime. If this person ends up being convicted of this, then why shouldn't he face the death penalty? Well, there's a big difference between whether somebody deserves to die for something terrible they did and whether the death penalty is a good system of justice. And having met people who were convicted and sentenced to death in other states and who were later exonerated, in fact, one of them is my friend, Kirk Bloodsworth from Maryland, the first person who was exonerated off death row by DNA. Uh, we, know, we know now that the death penalty is just too flawed, that we have too many mistakes made. Uh, there have been 190 people exonerated off death row since capital punishment was, was uh, reinstated in 1976, and we've had a about 1,300 executed. So that's about a seven to one ratio. For every, every seven people that we've executed, we found one who was innocent and exonerated off of death row. That, that's incredible. More than 160 people since 1973, 74, around that time. 76 was 76. Yeah. Uh, so in that time, that rate is awful. I mean, Aaron Tobin, if a car company ran its company with those numbers, they would be out of business. Why should the Justice Department be allowed to continue to do this? Well, uh, first of all, I'm not sure about those numbers. I would dispute some of them. When somebody ha is premeditated like this, takes a little girl, an angelic, sweet little two-year-old girl, drives her from Lansing. He had a plenty of time to say, you know what, maybe I'm getting a little bit carried away here, drop her off at a police station or something. He's evil to the core, murders this sweet little girl, and you're gonna tell me he's not liable to the death penalty? There's no questions here. Of course, it would be horrific to kill an innocent person. I don't think anyone here would, would question that. But when you have somebody that was so evil and outright, somebody that walks into a synagogue and kills 11 innocent people, walks into a, sh a church, walks into a school, all these people should be killed. You have the videos of them doing it. There is 
no reasonable doubt that they might even be innocent. These people, as a deterrent, must be put to death. Uh, as, as a deterrent. Okay, so let's talk about the death penalty in general. And we should point out that Mr. Trice has not been convicted of anything as of yet. And of right now, we're simply awaiting uh, the legal system to do its thing. But in the meantime, it brings up the conversation about the death penalty. And as we talk about that, uh, I have to ask you, David, um, you know, you, you kind of turn around and you go, look, the, the Supreme Court upheld this. Uh, the Supreme Court is, is is saying, hey, you know what? This is a something that should be allowed. Uh, why then do you think? Why are you so vehemently against it? Well, it, it's it's not a legal matter about whether capital punishment is lawful under the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Supreme Court has settled that. The question is, is whether it's a good idea. And what we've seen over the past 30 years is state after state abolish the death penalty or impose a moratorium on it, because more and more legislatures and governors of both parties, as well as some jurists of both. Uh, appointed by both parties, have re recognized that the capital punishment system is flawed, that uh, it gets some of the wrong people. There are definitely people who we can all agree morally deserve to die for what they've done. But there are, for, uh, for every such person, there's the risk of getting an innocent person. And that's why we've seen juries become much less likely to impose that penalty and prosecutors are seeking it. So it's fading away. And there's only a few states that have it left. Uh, Michigan, by the way, was the first English speaking jurisdiction to get rid of the death penalty. We've never had it since statehood. And a little known fact is the reason was that there was a wrongful conviction just before statehood in 1820. There was a man named Patrick Fitzpatrick who was executed in Windsor. He was a Detroiter living in, in Windsor. He was wrongfully convicted for a murder and rape of a young girl. And uh, he was exonerated, unfortunately, seven years after he was hanged uh, by his roommate, who on his deathbed admitted he had really committed the crime. And, and that story was well publicized in Detroit. And sure. that, uh, that explains a lot as to why we don't have the death penalty in Michigan. So, Charlie, when you look at the numbers, and, and I know Aaron is disputing some of those numbers, but more than 100 people, according to David Moran and others, including, I think, Columbia University, who did a study on this, said, hey, you have more than 100 people since 1976 that, uh, that were wrongfully convicted, that were then let out of death row. Does that concern you with the death penalty, that we're putting people in this line? That it's irreversible. You can't do anything about it if you find out they were innocent later. It does concern me. But I approach the death penalty conversation from the right to a fair trial. To me, it's not about the innocent. We, we obviously want, don't want to convict innocent people. No question about that. We would all agree, though, the premise of that is a fair trial. And I think that if the death penalty is on the table, it gives a tremendous advantage to the prosecution or the U.S. Attorney's Office in this case. And I don't want to see that. They have ultimate resources anyway. We can't even get people to court. For court-appointed attorneys these days, we can't get enough funds to, rep to adequately represent these people. But if you've got the court, you've got a prosecutor or a or a U.S. attorney that's got the death penalty on the table, a defendant is going to say, "Oh my gosh, I may not be a good witness. They may not like me. I'm going to die for something I maybe didn't do." And I think that there's just an, an inherent unfair advantage in getting a fair trial. Aaron, the, the, the defense counsel, no doubt, anyone who is convicted of one of these crimes, they have a defense counsel. Oftentimes, they they're left with. Uh, you know, a court-appointed lawyer. They don't have the resources to really take up a case of that magnitude. That's an unfair system, wouldn't you say? 
We have a, an excellent court system. We have fail-safes built in. A governor can uh, grant clemency. They can uh, release the prisoner that's on death row. The president can. There are other safeguards to uh, a trial where a person has been wrongly charged. We're not talking about borderline people. There's a group in Michigan that is going to be starting up soon to bring the death penalty back to Michigan. These are not the 1800s. We have rampant crime. We have people attacking police police officers. You saw on Fox 2 uh, a young man, not a, a teenager, grabbed a police officer's gun and struggled for it. The death of this two-year-old should send, send shockwaves, and it does, through anybody that is a moral, upstanding person. We don't want this guy out in 10 or 15 years. How many times have we seen murderers like this out in 10 or 15 years? That mother's never gonna hold the baby again. This person could be out in 10 or 15 years. He needs to be, if, if he is found guilty, give him 30 days, Execute, execute them. That's don't, it. Don't you think, as much as and you are an advocate, and we know you are for those who, of course, could be wrongly placed in this system, but what about the families? What about the families who lose their loved one after a monster who's convicted of killing them is put on death row? In, in that case, do you see why the family would like an eye for an eye? Well, not all of them do. Many families would actually prefer life without parole because that means that the person is put away, they never have to go to a parole hearing, there's never another court hearing, it's, it's done for life. One of the reasons that Michigan was among the first, was the first jurisdiction to abolish death penalty is that we've always had life without parole in Michigan. And so many other states where the death penalty uh, is more popular, like Texas, uh, the jury is given a terrible choice given death or a, a sentence of life will be parolable maybe in 15 or 20 years. But as more and more states have replaced that with life without parole, the attractiveness of the death penalty has, has gone way down. You know, it, it's funny how uh, to hear uh, someone defend the criminal justice system in the United States, uh, the criminal justice system is a government program. And, and, and just like you know, most conservatives, most Republicans, and people like me have a lot of doubt about the government's ability to fairly uh, figure out your taxes uh, to run any government program. Uh, the death penalty is just another government program, and it shouldn't surprise us that we often get it wrong. Yeah, Aaron, I was going to say when you look at you know too much government or government overreach or making binding decisions that hurt people. Uh, as a conservative, can you see how the Justice Department and how this system may not work all the time? Well, I'd like to remind the professor that the Treasury and the judiciary are two separate parts of government. They don't; they're not all the same. But do you see how? They're the judiciary system can get it wrong. Yes. So we have to have safeguards. I'm all for. Everyone would say we never want to see an innocent person die or put to death. What does a safeguard look like in your mind? I would work with uh, the, with the professor to see the safeguards put in, but also, like I said, the governor can override the death penalty, and the president can. Is there a, disparity, like is there, is a, is a disproportionate of, of people of color that get charged with these type of crimes that can't that do life in prison now? Would you think that if we had the death penalty, that there would be a disproportionate of, say, African Americans that will be on death row? Well, well, actually, the answer may surprise you. Uh, the disparity is not by the race of the defendant so much as by the race of the victim. Study after study has shown that first-degree murders of white people result in death penalties, whereas first-degree murders of black people or other people of color, Latinos, Native Americans, very seldom do. And so. Uh, uh, 
study after study has shown that there is a racial disparity in the in the enforcement of the death penalty, but it's based on victims. The jurors sympathize with the white victims more than they do with the victims of color. That's not right, is it? No, it's not. But is there any case where you find the death penalty appropriate, Professor? You know, if people ask, uh, would I like to have seen uh, Hitler executed if he'd survived and gone to Nuremberg? Of course. Um, but the problem is, for those very rare cases, you know, Hitler, Osama bin Laden, people like that, uh, it's not worth having a system that can inflict the ultimate punishment on people who are turn out to be innocent. But, but Mr. Moran, it, with that argument, if you look at, for instance, the 9-11 hijackers, for any family of a 9-11 family out there, that is their Osama bin Laden, that is their Hitler, right? Sure. So where uh, do you draw the line? Isn't it subjective? Of course, of course, and, and that's that's the problem. I mean, do we trust the government to get it right enough? Uh, and what experience has shown over the past 35 years, 37 years since the uh, reinstatement of the death penalty, is the government gets it wrong too often. Well, we're going to. When there is an overabundance of evidence, we got videos of the guy shooting up a synagogue, a mosque, a church. The guy comes in with the girl. It, it, You're saying that there's no mistaking There's that, no that is the mistake. person who did that. These people should and be executed. That, we're going to come back on the other end to finish some of these thoughts with our final thoughts after this. Should the death penalty go away across the country or is it viable? Aaron Tobin, you were saying before the break. If we have an overabundance of, of evidence and a person has gone to trial and he is found guilty, he must be put to death, not only for the deterrent, but to, for our society, for our standards. People should know that when you go and kill a two-year-old child, when you go and shoot up a church, a mosque, a synagogue, you will face certain death. Professor Moran. I just come back to Kirk Bloodsworth, who was convicted for a very similar crime in Maryland, uh, kidnapping and raping a little girl. The evidence seemed overwhelming, but do you and proved it wasn't him and actually hit the real perpetrator. And in the case of uh, Rashad Trice, nothing has been decided yet. We, of course, no, brought the topic up only because it brought up the topic of the death penalty. But uh, innocent until proven guilty. We continue to watch all of this. Thank you both for joining us today. Charlie, always good to be with you. And that does it for this edition of Let It Rip. The Let It Rip discussion continues online. Sound off on Facebook, Twitter, or Fox2Detroit.com.